to inform you there's no children's message this morning, so the children, if uh, so desire, can be dismissed to Children's Church. This morning, uh, we will be uh, reading from Obadiah, which is a, a minor prophet, one of the, it's the most minor of the minor prophets, as it's only 21 verses long. Um, it will be the fourth minor prophet you find, so Hosea, Joel, Amos, and then Obadiah. It's page 772 in your pew Bibles. Let me begin by reading uh, Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you would have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven, driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom, and understanding out of Mount Esau. And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in their day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return upon your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. 
and they shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Seraphat shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Ascends the reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, we thank you that it is, Lord, your own breathed out word to us. Lord, that it is useful for correcting, for training in righteousness, for rebuke. Lord, and we just pray that you would open our hearts this morning, open our eyes, that we might see more glorious things from your law, that we might know you more, Lord, and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Obadiah is not the most uh, familiar of, uh, of books in the Bible, uh, but Obadiah, the, the name itself, means servant of the Lord. And other than this, we know very little about Obadiah. Um, Obadiah, the the book itself, gives us very little information about its author. There are about a dozen Obadiahs mentioned in the Old Testament, but uh, it's not sure which one of those might be this Obadiah, if it is one of them. Um, So we know very little about the author. So um, we just know about his vision. So um, verse 1, the vision of Obadiah, one commentator said that Obadiah was a seer before he was a sayer or a writer. So he received this vision from the Lord, and he recorded it for us here in scripture. Uh, We can be sure that this is not a product of his own reflection or his own thoughts or his own desires. Uh, What we read here is actually an oracle from the Lord himself. And it's an oracle concerning Edom, right? Um, The book of Obadiah is somewhat unique among the other uh, prophets in that this prophecy is about Edom rather than Israel or, or Judah. Um, so Edom is the nation to the south of Judah. It's a nation that had frequent conflicts with the people of Israel throughout history. Um, we actually know quite a bit about Edom because the nation of Edom is made up of the descendants of Esau, who is the brother of Jacob, who is Israel. Um, we'll review some of that history later and learn more about the Edomites. Um, but this morning, we're going to consider uh, Obadiah's prophecy in three parts. First, we have the slaughter of stubborn sinners in verses 1 through 9. Second, we have the betrayal of the brotherly bond as we learn more about the depth of Edom's sin and the reason for their judgment. And finally, we have the restoration of righteous rule on the day of the Lord following final judgment of Edom in verses 15 through 21. So let's begin in verses 1 through 9, which tell us about the slaughter of the stubborn sinners in Edom. It sounds kind of gruesome, and it definitely is. The the consequences for Edom's pride and rebellion against God are serious. So verse 1, thus says the Lord concerning, the Lord God concerning Edom. Again, Obadiah has recorded for us here divine revelation of God's purpose and his judgment on the nation of Edom. 
to give some context to Obadiah's prophecy, let's do a quick review of Edom's history. So Genesis 25 records Esau's birth to his parents, Isaac and Rebekah. Uh, but even before Esau was born, uh, God reveals some big news. Uh, Rebekah's having twins. Uh, this, here's, what the God's, here's what God says about, uh, about them in Genesis 25, verse 23. Before they were even born, the Lord said to her, Rebekah, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So God had ordained these twin brothers, Esau and Jacob, and even more so their descendants, that they would not really get along. Their relationship would be strained. Uh, So Esau is the firstborn twin. He came out red and hairy, so they named him Harry, which is Esau. And Jacob was born shortly after. And later in Genesis 25, the the boys had grown up a little bit. Um, Jacob had cooked this red stew, and Esau came in from the field exhausted, and Jacob pounced on the opportunity to get Esau's birthright in exchange for that one meal. And it's at this point that Esau is renamed Edom, which means red, after the red stew that he ate, I guess. In Genesis 25, then, uh, Jacob deceives his father Isaac to receive the blessing of the firstborn. And so Jacob and Esau go their separate ways for quite a few years, and then Jacob strives with God. He's renamed Israel, and the brothers do kind of reunite for just a a moment, but then they kind of settle in different places. And other than that, other than Jacob's deceit and cunning and Esau's unwise decision, uh, the brothers themselves have no other major conflicts, but their descendants are a different story. And we'll see that this morning. So the Lord has a report for Edom, and he communicates that at the end of verse 1 in Obadiah. Breaking news, Edom, the nations are plotting against you. There's a messenger going around calling the surrounding nations to rise up against you in battle. Uh, Notice this is not just one nation, but nations, plural, are joining forces to come against Edom. Uh, The next few verses show the inevitability of this coming judgment. In verse 2, the Lord promises to make Edom small among the nations. That's small in political significance, small in ability to withstand this coming onslaught. Indeed, Edom shall be utterly despised. The first sin of Edom pointed out through Obadiah is pride in verse 3. It says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. So they have placed their trust and their confidence in an unworthy place. Uh, The land of Edom, where, where Esau settled, was a mountainous area, And many cities were built up on the sides of a mountain and uh, carved into the cliffs. It made them very difficult to attack. Uh, One city, Petra, which is once the capital of Edom, was only accessible by going through this narrow canyon almost a mile long. And at the end of the canyon, there's this beautiful city carved into the stone. And if you find photographs of that place today, it's still amazing to look at. Um, The terrain would make it seem, you know, incapable of being conquered by an army. And because of their defensive strength of these cities and the advantages of of that terrain, they thought themselves to be invincible. At the end of verse 3, this is what Edom thinks. You know, who will bring me down to the ground? But to answer that question, uh, verse 4, the Lord says, though you soar as high as an eagle and your nest is in a high place, there is one who can overcome these impediments. And just as pride comes before the fall, uh, we see the Lord himself declare, from there I will bring you down. Uh, 
The next section, verses 5 through 7, show us that judgment against Edom will result in complete destruction, annihilation. Uh, he, he tells them normally, you know, if, if thieves come in and steal from you, they're not going to take everything. Um, they'll just take the things they want, you know. Uh, even grape gatherers, right, when you harvest the grapes, they don't, they don't get every grape. They leave some behind. But in verse 6, uh, God tells us that Edom and Esau will be completely destroyed. Nothing will be left behind. Even the treasures they hid deep in their caves would be found, they'd be emptied, they'd be carried off. Also notice in verse 6 that the, the tenses change. It's now past tense. The judgment of the Lord on Edom is so sure it's as if it has already happened. Um, Edom has already been pillaged. Uh, even more discouraging for the Edomites is who is doing this pillaging. Verse 7 tells us it's their own allies. It's those who were at peace with you. It's those who eat your bread, right? The nations you thought were your friends are going to turn against you. Um, David experienced this uh, when his enemies or his friends became enemies. Psalm 41, verse 9 says this. This is David, King David speaking. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. You know, another element of Edom's pride was this. They had trusted in their strong allies. You know, no one dare attack us. We have these neighbors who will come to our defense. But the irony here is that it's actually these allies who have set a trap for them, who will come against them. And it will catch them by surprise. They have no understanding. God has, throughout history, used the nations as instruments of judgment. And he will continue that pattern here with Edom. But the armies of the nations have generals and commanders and kings, but it's God who controls the hearts and wills of the kings and commanders of these armies. So in the first seven verses, things for Edom have been going downhill fast, and we continue to see another element of Edom's pride in verse 8. So not only did Edom take pride in their geographic fortifications, but also their wisdom. They thought even if something bad happens, we have the wisest men in all the land who can figure a way out. Uh, Edom was well known for their wisdom. Uh, one of Job's friends uh, was an Edomite. Eliphaz was a Temanite. Teman was the grandson of Esau and is another name for the Edomite nation. But God dashes the, the hope that wisdom could save them in verse 8. He says, Both wise men and understanding itself will be destroyed. And God himself takes credit for this. Again, Though God may use the, the nations as, as his instruments, have no doubt that it's God himself who is the judge of sin. And finally, in verse 9, we reach the lowest point in this prophecy on Edom. The mighty men of Edom will be dismayed, right? Their armies will be captivated by fear, fear of impending doom, hopelessness. But not only the mighty men, in fact, it says there that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Every one of Edom will be wiped out. Not a single person will survive. Edom had rejected the Lord God, and because of that pride, they would face slaughter by their former allies and friends, but ultimately from God himself. So these first nine verses are pretty graphic, but uh, they should teach us something. First, Edom is judged because of their pride, right? Often we don't think about pride as being that bad, right? We can take pride in our favorite sports teams. We can take pride in the work we do and our jobs. But then there's a pride that's clearly sinful, right? Um, 
We all know this month is celebrated as Pride Month. Um, pride is the most fundamental sin. Was it not pride that tempted Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3? Here's what uh, the serpent said to the woman. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Right? Satan had tempted Eve with pride, knowing that if she just ate this fruit, she would be her own God rather than having to submit to the one true God. And when we get down to it, pride is underneath most sin. Right? We think my way is better than God's way. So we need to do some self-examination. Where are you placing your trust and your hope and your, pro- and your security and your faith? And it's tricky because just as the Lord told Edom in verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Pride is deceitful, right? It would have us believe that these temporary earthly things are, are worth trusting in. But Church of Jesus Christ, to trust in anything other than the Lord, Jesus Christ is sin. And we see in the case of the Edomites the consequences of unrepentant sin, judgment and destruction. For me, I can say I I find myself trusting in my work, uh, in the approval of others, and even financial security sometimes, right? And I ask you to reflect on where your pride might be popping up in your heart. Let's identify it for what it is. It's actually rebellion against God, and let's let's repent. Um, Humility is the way of God, right? Jesus Christ humbled himself, taking on human nature, suffering on the cross. He offered himself as our ultimate and final sacrifice to save us from judgment. And so we need to forsake all of their trusts and take pride in nothing other than knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we've seen the slaughter of sinners from verses 1 through 9. Now we move into the specific reasons for the judgment of Edom, the betrayal of the bonds of brotherhood in verses 10 through 14. Verse 10 tells us, Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. Edom's sin is not just a general pride of thinking too highly of oneself. It's personal. Edom, or Esau, was guilty of the mistreatment of his brother Jacob. At the time of this prophecy, you know, Jacob and Esau themselves were, were dead. Uh, but over the hundred years of history, hundreds of years of history between Esau's descendants and the nation of Israel, uh, Edom had failed to love its brother nation. We remember when Esau was coming out of Egypt in the great exodus, as they were getting ready to move into the promised land, they came to the border of Edom and asked to pass through. And Numbers chapter 20, verses 14 through 21 tell us that Edom refused, right? And when Moses asked again, Uh, Edom sent out its army to to block the way and to make sure they they didn't enter. And so Israel had to go around the nation of Edom. And later, during the reign of King Saul, Edom went to war against Israel. And then under King David, uh, the Edomites were taken as as servants to Israel. And then about 100 years later, Edom revolted under King Jehoram and and regained their independence. It's somewhere around this time period that that Obadiah records this, this prophecy. But the nation of Edom and the nation of Israel are related by blood, right? Their namesakes were brothers. In God's law, which he gave to Israel in Deuteronomy 23, verse 7, uh, God tells the Israelites, you shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother, right? This command should have gone both ways, but Edom had failed to live up to the Lord's standard for the way brothers should treat each other. 
And then verses 11 through 14 describe the many ways in which Edom had failed to act as a brother to Israel at a time when Israel was being attacked by another nation. Now, there were a couple instances when this happened in the, in the Old Testament, and uh, which specific instance is des- described here, uh, we can't be sure, but the, the context is uh, neighboring brother Israel is under attack, and Edom here, right, the neighbor brother nation to the south, should have behaved as a brother, but instead they joined in the enemy. So first, verse 11, Edom stood aloof when strangers carried off Israel's wealth. Those of you that have siblings know that um, even though you might not get along, even though you might fight and argue all the time, when somebody comes at your brother, you go to his defense, right? Uh, You don't stand aloof. And the last half of verse 11 says that Edom's indifference toward the suffering of his brother meant that Edom was no different than the enemy that had actually attacked Israel. By failing to protect their brother nation from violence, they were no better than the perpetrator. Second, verse 12, Edom had gloated over his brother and rejoiced over them and boasted, right? This is the next step. Not only did Edom not come to the aid of their their brother, they were actually delighted to see their brother fall. Edom felt superior to Israel. You know, they said, you got attacked, we didn't. Our army is superior. Our defenses are better. You know, if only Israel could be like us. The proper response uh, comes from King David in in Psalm 35, verses 11 through 14. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or brother. As one who laments for his mother, I bowed down in mourning. So David says even though uh, his enemies, they were his enemies, when they were sick, he prayed for them. He fasted. He grieved. He treated them as a brother. But instead, Edom rejoices over his brother's suffering. Third, verse 13. Edom actually joined in the action, right? He entered the cities of Israel to gloat and to join in the looting. You know, one of the saddest things to to watch is when people are taken advantage of when they're most vulnerable. Uh, We think in South Louisiana after a hurricane, uh, there's always the risk of looters coming, right, and and stealing beyond what's already been damaged, only adding to the devastation, or scammers who take advantage of the elderly. You know, this is not brotherly love, but Edom had no regard for his brother. He chose to kick Israel when he was down. And finally, verse 14, Edom actually joined the enemy of Israel in capturing those who had escaped, only to hand them over to the enemy. Perhaps they thought they could gain some favor with their allies by participating in capturing fugitives. In any case, Edom's loyalty shouldn't have been to these allies, but it should have been to their brother, Israel. James Montgomery Boyce says this, The proof of the pride of Edom is in the way they treated Israel. Pride leads to an unjustified sense of personal superiority. And when we feel this way about ourselves, we naturally look down on others and mistreat them. So applications for this middle section. Sin is even more heinous when it's committed against a brother. Uh, Once again, let's think back to Genesis chapter 4. We have Cain and Abel, the first brothers, right? Cain and Abel should have shared a bond of brotherhood. 
But not only did Cain kill Abel, but when questioned by God, he says this in Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is, your, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer to Cain's question is yes, he should be his brother's keeper. But instead, he was his brother's murderer. God has put us in families, and we should hold these relationships sacred. And God has placed us in a, a church family, right, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We should hold those equally sacred. Second, application. When we see Christians who might be in other camps, who might disagree with us on certain issues, uh, when maybe their sin or some scandal is exposed, uh, what's the proper response for Christians? It's easy, again, to turn to pride and think maybe if they just did, did things our way or held closer to our beliefs, maybe what, would have ha- what happened could have been prevented. Uh, you know, it's, we should not take pleasure when our brothers and sisters in the Lord are, are discredited. Or worse, we should not be the ones attacking, right? We can and should debate issues of theology with our brothers in good faith, but we should rein in ourselves when our pride leads us to attack or to go too far. Our duty to other believers is to encourage them and to build them up and to restore them if they have sinned. So let us root out that pride and that lack of love for our brothers and sisters and repent of our unbrotherliness. So we've seen in Obadiah's prophecy the slaughter of Edomite sinners because of their betrayal of their brother nation, Israel. And what follows at the end, verses 15 through 21 of Obadiah, are the rest, is the restoration of righteous rule as God's kingdom comes and the Lord rules over the earth. Verse 15 begins with the reminder, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. First, that, that phrase, day of the Lord, Um, has a specific meaning. Back in verse 8, the Lord declared that there would be a day of destruction and judgment. That's what's referenced here. Isaiah chapter 13 talks about the day of the Lord. It says this, uh, Isaiah 13 verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to to destroy its sinners from it. You know, Jeremiah describes the day of the Lord as a day of vengeance. Ezekiel calls it a time of doom for the nations. And here in Obadiah, we see that the day of the Lord is near, and Edom will be judged for its sin. Obadiah says that it's near. It's coming soon. It's not far off. For Edom, that day would come. The nation of Edom would be completely destroyed. And after about 70 AD, the last remaining part of Edom was completely wiped out by the Roman army. Uh, this seems a little bit odd to us. Uh, this prophecy may have been written 500 or 700, 800 years before, um, before Christ was born. So um, how could I, Obadiah say, you know, the, the day of the Lord is near when it's maybe hundreds of years off? Second Peter chapter 3 gives us some insight into God's timing. Second Peter chapter 3 verses 8 and 9 says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a, as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So Edom should be anticipating the day of the Lord. It could come at any moment, just as we are commanded to make ourselves ready for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Next, the Lord has detailed what will happen on the day of the Lord. Verse 15 says, As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. So the Edomites will not get away with the hatred of their brothers in Israel. They will endure the same or worse suffering than what they have inflicted. Psalm 137, which was our responsive reading this morning, which John read for us, included this idea of retributive justice. Verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 137 says, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. So the psalmist holds back a bit with Edom, just asking God to remember what they had done, but judgment is pronounced against Babylon in similar fashion as as God speaks of Edom in Obadiah, that they would be repaid for what they have done. Verse 16, For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. The image is that of the heathen nations, Edom included, invading Jerusalem, and Mount Zion, and partying in the temple, and drinking until they're drunk. But little did they know that they will continue drinking, but this time from the cup of the wrath of God. And this wrath will consume them, and it will be as though they had never been. So the first half of what will happen on the Lord's day is that there will be judgment on sin and destruction of unrighteousness. But the second half Once sin and sinners are eliminated, this kingdom of holiness will take its place. Starting in verse 17, But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. So while God's word for Edom has been judgment, God also speaks words of hope for his people. While every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter, from verse 9, in Zion and in Israel there will be those who escape. Not only will the wicked be punished, but God's people will be restored. A new kingdom will be established, a holy kingdom. And the house of Jacob, the house of Israel, God's chosen people, will be there. Verse 18 just reiterates Esau's complete destruction. Here Israel is pictured as a fire and Edom as stubble. And fire from the house of Jacob and Joseph will consume Edom until there is no survivor left. Finally, verses 19 through 21 describe this new kingdom that is being established. God's people will take possession of the lands of the surrounding nations. God's people will return from exile and have their lands restored, not only the promised land, but even the lands of their enemies. While this prophecy was partially fulfilled when the exiles returned from Babylon in Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, this prophecy actually goes far beyond what actually we know has occurred in history. God's people have not possessed these lands. And the reference to Joseph seems to point to the northern tribes of Israel. All God's people will be involved. But again, this prophecy was not necessarily fulfilled uh, when Israel came out of exile. We could take this prophecy literally. God may yet restore the lands that have not been under control of Israel to God's people. But the promises here at the end of Obadiah are also promises for the church. Right? We have been grafted in. Mark Dever says, rather, God's words through Obadiah will be ultimately fulfilled when God's people are in God's place under God's rule through the Lord Jesus Christ.
Finally, verse 21. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. The word saviors is the same word used for the judges that God placed over Israel. Judges chapter 2, verse 16 says, Then the Lord raised up judges, same word as saviors, who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. So the job of the judges was to govern and to, to lead the people in the ways of the Lord. And God blessed their efforts, even though the judges were far from perfect. In a similar manner, saviors will return to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, and will rule the nations. Edom will have no saviors. The remnant of Israel, however, will be delivered. Finally, the last part of verse 21. The kingdom shall be the Lord's. Obadiah's prophecy ends on a high note. Though the nations of the earth may rise and fall, though God's people will endure suffering and exile, in the end, God will rule over all. This coming kingdom will be the Lord's. And we see this in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, John's vision of heaven. Uh, Revelation 11:15 says, Then the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and loud voices called out in heaven, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. And every time I read that verse, the hallelujah chorus starts playing in my head. So hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Uh, We don't know if Obadiah's prophecy was ever actually delivered to the Edomites themselves, but the message of Obadiah would have been good news to the, the Jewish believers who were under attack from the nations and carried off into exile. But the message of Obadiah is clear, that God is in control. He will make things right. And he will rule over a holy kingdom. So some applications to, to leave us with. First question after reading Obadiah, why was Israel or Jacob chosen as the people of God and Edom or Esau destined for destruction? Uh, Pastor Dean preached over a year ago from Romans chapter 9, which addressed this question directly. It's kind of a long passage, but It speaks directly to this question, so I'll read it for you. Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 16. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there justice on God's part, injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So it was God's sovereign choice to save Israel and bring judgment upon Edom. We did see this morning that Edom got what it deserved. Uh, Their deeds returned on their own heads. But was Israel any more deserving? We have the entire Old Testament, which testifies to Israel's frequent sin, the way they turned against God and, and from God, committing the same sins as the nations that surrounded them. Our hymn of preparation this morning was, was How Sweet and Awesome is the Place, written by Isaac Watts, who was an English pastor in the early 18th century. Uh, If we look at verse 3, it says this. Why was I made to hear your voice 
and enter while there's room, when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. You know, we can ask, why was Israel chosen? And the only answer we can give is that God chose to display his great mercy and great grace and glory by rescuing lost sinners. And we can ask similarly about ourselves. Why would God choose me? And it's only because, again, God's abundant grace and mercy toward us. So if you're a believer, praise God that he regenerated you, that he gave you the gift of faith, and that he will carry his work to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And though most of Obadiah has concerned the nation of Edom specifically, in verse 15, Obadiah says that the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. There is no nation who will escape the Lord's judgment. It could just as easily say, for the day of the Lord is upon the United States of America. All who have refused to bow the knee to the Lord will face his wrath. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So Edom here in Obadiah is an image for all unbelievers who will drink from the cup of God's wrath. James chapter 2, verse 13 says, For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. On the other hand, the house of Jacob, or Israel, as the chosen people of God, foreshadows the relationship that God and Christians now enjoy. As Christians, we will escape God's judgment through the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Christians will be made holy and are being made holy by the work of the Holy Spirit. Christians have an inheritance as sons of God. Christians acknowledge and submit to the King of Kings who rules over his kingdom. Rather than the cup of wrath, we drink from a different cup, the cup of the new covenant in Christ's blood, which we will partake of in just a few minutes. And when we do, let us remember that we have this privilege of drinking from the cup of blessing, which was made available to us at great cost from Jesus himself, who endured the cup of wrath from the Father, though he prayed that that cup might pass from him. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, that his people, you and me, could receive mercy and have eternal life under the reign of the one true God. Let's pray. Father, we confess the reality of your judgment and wrath. Father, help us to see the seriousness of sin, even our sin. Lord, that it is deserving of death. Lord, we thank you that you chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in your presence. We thank you that you have adopted us, you've redeemed us, you've forgiven us, you've lavished your love upon us, and you've revealed the great mystery of your gospel, the ministry of reconciliation, Lord, of bringing all things in heaven and earth under your righteous rule. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.